Welcome back to In Our Own Defense podcast. Again, we're your host, Dr. Dolores Tarver, and myself, Attorney A.D. Winters. Um, in this episode of In Our Own Defense podcast, we have the luxury of having Dr. Ogantala and Dr. Matt Smith with us, and they've been helping us unpack tips for eliminating too much to- uh, toxicity. We, we learned about the four horsemen <laughs> of the uh, of, of these bad communication, uh, bad relationships. We've learned how to forgive ourselves. Uh, these are some of the tools that we've been putting in our toolkit. And now we, uh, we're we back and we wanna ask these these great guests a few more questions. Uh, Dr. Tarver. Thank you, Attorney Winters. Uh, you know, we probably all have heard the phrase intergenerational curses. Um, we, we might have said it our, ourselves before, intergenerational trauma might be a more accurate uh, terminology for it. But I want us to get into how we are just negatively affected by, um, Dr. Smith alluded to this earlier, some of the environmental things that happen around us, poverty, uh, oppression, abuse, uh, murder, domestic violence, and how those things may affect us um, in terms of our ability to be able to even express emotions much less to acknowledge our problems that we may have. Um, And then those healthy or unhealthy parenting dynamics that we may have seen growing up, um, as well as our mental health. Can you, can you two, uh, I'll start with you, Dr. O this time first. Can you all just talk about some of the ways we're affected by things we cannot control that are outside of us, what we might be born into, but then also things, uh, as Dr. Smith alluded, alluded to earlier, that we may have been taught because our parents were taught them and their parents were taught them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the things that I'm always trying to integrate into my mental health um, education is the socioeconomic status um, and environmental education. So when I explain to somebody, let's look at what happened when your parent was growing up, right? Well, what was it like their relationship with their parent? Well, their father wasn't there. Well, what what happened? Well, they grew up in Asia and there there was a war going on. And so she saw her dad killed in front of her, right? When you put that in context, and then you can ask that parent, can you imagine what it must have been like for your mom to lose her dad in such a violent way? Does it make sense that maybe that has to do with a lot of her adoration of your brother? That she is looking for love from a man in the way of your brother, in a way that she didn't have to do with her mom, right? It, it all of a sudden offers up a, wow, I can I can empathize with you in a way that I may not have been taught to do, right? So putting it in context and then saying, okay, now she comes to this country, I don't know if you remember what was happening in this country with the Chinese Exclusion Act. And then they're like, oh, right, what was that? Oh, when they didn't want Asians to migrate to this country and they were sneaking in through, you know, South America, which is why we have so many combinations of Mexican and Spanish and Chinese and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, the history starts to put the family dynamic in context because of the racism and because of how hard they made it for them to do things, right? And I'm purposely using a different culture because I think that oftentimes we get used to what happened with black people. But when you start to really understand what was happening, how how profound the, the racism was, how profound the segregation was, and this is the environment in which these families were struggling. 
it's not the same as dad didn't have a job. Do you know how much emotional self it takes to have the motivation to be rejected and know that you're going to get a job? It's incredibly disheartening. And so when you start to humanize the experience, all of a sudden you just realize like, my God, what they went through. And then on top of that, we're asking them to be emotionally present. And so, you know, this is the way that I try and educate a family on um, having instead a sense of this is what you did to me, rather than, oh my God, what happened to you? You make sense now. Now it makes sense that dad's anger wasn't just mad at me. He was depressed, right? Nobody said that word, but that's what that was. And so as you start to decode everything, right? All of a sudden now people know what they're seeing and there you go, the right, the four agreements. Now they can be impeccable with their word. Dad, you seem sad, not angry, right? Now we don't take it personally. Why are you mad at me? What must have happened at work today? That must have been hard. There was the empathy, right? And then now we don't make assumptions that, right, dad's just always mad. No, dad is struggling. And nobody said during his time that it was okay to talk about those things. So he didn't know how to talk about those things. So when you bring up stuff, that's what's happening to him, right? So all of a sudden, the power of teaching a teen, when your dad uses humor, he's not laughing at you, he's feeling uncomfortable. No one taught him how to be vulnerable, right? And so all of a sudden they go, you can tell him, it's okay, you just need to be here with me. You don't have to solve it for me. I just want you here with me. I just want you to listen, right? Now I can teach a teen to advocate for themselves so they can get what they need out of this relationship and all relationships, right? But to me, that's the importance of, again, why it's so important to talk to a therapist instead of just trying to do it by yourself. Because how would you know this? And every time I teach it to somebody, I don't care how young this kid is, I don't care how old this parent is, it always comes down to, how would I know that? I go, exactly. Nobody taught you that. And that's why I'm asking you to have some self-compassion. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Dr. O, for bringing back in those four agreements. I knew you, I knew you would weave them back in, <laughs> and that was perfect. Uh, Dr. Smith? Uh, I want to bring in an aspect of kind of where we are as a people, as Black people, when it comes to um, our trauma culturally. And 400 years, of course, we don't have to go through all that, but you can't tell me through 400 years of uh, degradation uh, uh, lost opportunities, um, slavery, uh, Jim Crow, um, and all of these, all, all these other things, um, 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 the Black Wall Street, Rosewood, that mm -hmm. there is not um, some separate separation anxiety disorder culturally. Yeah. There is yeah. not PTSD culturally. There is not some distrust um, uh, culturally. Um, the Tuskegee experiment, distrust the medical, the medical system, uh, the judicial system, uh, whereas that, well, the, the very high percentage of black men in the judicial system. So, I mean, we have a whole lot of mistrust. We have a whole lot of pain. We have a whole lot of hurt. And now the black, black men are feeling emasculated within relationships because they, they feel that their power has been taken away from them. Um, because of the, uh, the judicial system, because of uh, not getting uh, opportunities. And right now, the, you know, the, the black woman is the, the matriarch of, 
the, of, of our culture. We're very proud and very happy. And we, you know, and and I'm singing the praises of, of, of future Vice President Harris. I'm owning that. And, uh, and, and we're proud of that. But still, there's a systemic issue when it comes to why uh, toxicity within our community runs rapid. And it goes um, from culture, it goes from generation, excuse me, from generation to generation to generation. I think that what I try to do is I try to pair my, my, my men up, my couples up, and also my families up with uh, mentors. Like if you see somebody in your church, somebody in your community, somebody in an organization that you like how they are moving, you like the way that they deal with their issues and conflicts and things of that nature, there's nothing wrong with trying to connect with that. There's nothing wrong with trying to connect with organizations that do that. We have to, we have to unlearn bad uh, habits that have been passed down to us. And we also have to deal with therapeutically, hopefully, some of the uh, acute stress disorders, some of the separation anxiety disorders, some of the PTSD that we have gotten because of the, the negatives that's happening in this country uh, towards Black people. And, uh, and some of the things that, 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 that's happened that we cannot undo, of course. But these things have affected us and we are affected as a whole. And I see how you, you guys both brought that in, uh, uh, where you kind of speak about it as, as Dr. Uh, Ogantala used the, uh, uh, the Asiatic uh, uh, kind of, you know, scenario of the Chinese uh, Exclusion Act, the Japanese internment camps in America, watching someone die, uh, watching your parent die. Imagine the kids in Chicago who've seen that. Imagine, yeah. the, you know, uh, in, in this country, and I like how you weaved it back to uh, African Americans experiencing this in this country uh, at an alarming rate. And, and been in the legal profession, a former prosecutor, I mean, just disgusted. But if we, we're sentencing every single institution in yeah. this country, yes. military, JAG yeah. has admitted that. Yeah. And I represent people at JAG, I mean, uh, UCMJ issues, and they're getting they're washing out a lot of African-Americans' careers. America doesn't even recognize this. They wash out African-Americans' careers through administrative ways, and wow. they get a dishonorable discharge or bad conduct wow. with yeah. an discharge. They don't even get any benefits yeah. for their potential PTSD from going all these wars. Yeah. Now imagine that. I mean, and so we, we our institutions then prey on it. The bank won't give you a loan. The, for your business. Your, and so all of these institutions prey on this. So if we don't fix, I'm afraid if we don't fix that that internal layer. See, one thing they can't stop us, no one can stop us from fixing the intergenerational trauma if we understand first, you gotta go get help. And as Dr. Tarver unpacked there is the, how do you, how do you convince people uh, to get this emotional expression. How do you convince them? We talked about it early in the fir uh, first segment, but how do we get people on the right side of, of, of this ship of saying, I must go get help. I gotta get somebody to help me quarterback my life. I don't play catch by myself. I don't throw the ball to myself and then run and go catch it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you use a life coach, you use a, a, a pr provider to be there with you. I also have a back issue from the army. But I'm not gonna go take a butter knife and let me go between L4 and L5 and 
shape it up, I'm gonna go to a provider and <laughs> do that. And so I think once we, we can normalize, uh, like it should be normalized now, everybody wants to be therapy. The problem I have with it is we got too many life coaches, untrained, unskilled people, basically being that butter knife and digging in people's back. And they don't have any ethics to hold up to. They don't have any standards. There's no science or research behind some of the stuff that they're saying. And it's just kind of a dumpster fire, bad, bad advice. Oh, I've never been to medical school in my life, but take this pill. Sounds good enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so, or do this and, and, and not just, uh, that kind of makes it worse. So I, but I, I definitely a, a appreciate that question. But I like to, uh, Dr. Tarver, could you follow up and make sure that we we are hitting that the, with the poverty and the yeah, yeah. oppression and, and all of that? Yes. Uh, thank you for uh, bringing us back, Attorney Winters. Uh, I, you know, I, I, Attorney Winters gets on to me. I put so much in one question that it's difficult for uh, our guests to be able to answer all of the aspects of it. Uh, so I do want to get back to... Um, learning how to express ourselves right so this if i live in poverty if i going back to that example of um dad had a hard time getting a job mm -hmm. and so every day he was told essentially he was not worthy mm -hmm. um and how does that affect him and his interactions with us yeah and what do we learn about ourselves as a result of that and how Correct. to express ourselves when we are dealing with a society that may tell us in various ways, we're not worthy. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Um, you're not articulate enough. Uh, you're not thin enough, whatever whatever it may be um, that, that we cage you in this, this box and you have a hard time getting out. How does that affect the way we learn then to express ourselves, communicate our emotions, how we're feeling, how we're able to talk to people um, in our lives in, in constructive or, or not, as we're talking about toxicity uh, ways, how does that affect our emotional expression? What do you want? Uh, <laughs> let me start with you, Dr. Smith. I'll, I'll um, cause you, you, you look like your, your, your wheels were turning. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'll start with you and then we'll go, go to Dr. Dr. Well, o. You think about poverty, then you, you think about lack of resources mm -hmm. and, um, I'm from the inner city of Detroit, so we can understand how lack of, lack of resources kind of shape the, the mind, and you have to do more with less. Well, oftentimes, if you're if you're not giving the tools uh, that you need to succeed, you're not giving the tools that you need to to to, to uh, succeed um, to take care of your family or to be a great provider. Then you are just <clears throat> this part of the Willie Lynchism. And the, the Willie Lynch mentality is to take your resources, to, to pitch you against each other, to and um, and and to make you to, to lower your self-esteem. And this is what happens with um, impoverished people all over the world. And um, you are you can you could be a third, fourth generational person in a, in the lowest social economic uh, dynamic, you know, within your within your community. Um, and oftentimes. Our happiness as Americans is built off of milk and honey, and being productive and being a provider. So now you now you now you tap into more of a negative mindset, which oftentimes in impoverished communities you have to be a little bit tougher. You have to be a little bit rougher. Your your skin has to be a little bit thicker, and um, and so you learn this subculture, this subculture mentality on how to survive, 
And it's not mean that it's wrong, but it means that this is this is what you have to do in order to provide or to take care of your family or to even make it or to walk down the street. Now, if I take you out of this subculture and I put you some in another culture, in a middle class culture, uh, now you're a fish out of water and you're disconnected and you have lack of resources to make it in this particular culture. And so now, even if you do make it, you're not you're not happy because you don't have the tools. You're not fitting in. You don't feel comfortable. Things of that nature. So now that's that's been taken away from you too as well. And um, it, it just it, it can kind of build a toxic a toxic mentality within your own self, which you pass down. You know to your children, uh, to your friends, to your family, and things of that nature. So. I mean, the poverty, the poverty platform that we're talking about, man, it, um, it's really big when it comes to uh, trying to uh, navigate through toxic relationships and, and generational toxic uh, 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 dynamics. Thank you, Dr. Can, Smith. Dr. O. Can I, I, I wanted to just add something to that um, because I really, I really do feel like the history is so important. And um, I'm currently finishing um, Stamped from the Beginning by Dr. Um, Yaron Kendi. And um, wow, if there was a book that just was required, like that with the 1619 Project podcast, like, <laughs> you know? And I think that the reason why is um, because that, um, those definitions of being a segregationist, somebody who does not feel like brown and black people ever equate to being a white the humanity of a white person, right? Then the assimilist, who is a person who believes that black and brown people can be as good as a white person, and yet supports policy that supports the racist environment, right? And then the anti-racist who says, and this is why I'm saying this, is because what I would say to somebody who's suffering from poverty is, do you understand that the reason you're so exhausted, the reason you feel hopeless is because it is by design. This is not all your fault, right? So that they can understand that, of course you would work if the job were easy to obtain and you didn't understand that other people were purposely trying to make it so that you didn't, right? But when you see repeatedly when all of a sudden somebody gets together with everybody and says, you have the same problem I have, we need to get together. That is when all of a sudden they realize we can't have that. They prove that in with the Black Panther Party, they prove that like over and over through history, right? And so it's even, I think that we don't even tell Martin Luther King's story well, because he was, he was a threat when he started to realize a more anti-racist platform. Right. And so that's, I think that becomes so important because then what you can do is you are more apt to realize that you cannot do this alone. You need support. You can't do this alone. And that means that if there are four families on the floor, then somebody who's staying home, can you watch all the kids while we all go get jobs? Can we agree that we're going to make meals and rotate through so that we can help each other out so that we can move forward? There have to be ways. Can we start a business where we can support each other so that we can um, generate wealth within this building, right? There have to be ways that we understand that we cannot do this alone. 
and that that's why it's so important to vote. And that's why it's so important to get one of your own to run for office so that people can support that person, right? It's all of these ways are ways that our, our kids can see us do something different so that we aren't contributing to the mentality of you're not good enough because of your station in life, right? By saying like that kind of Bill Cosby attitude where it's because y'all don't want to work. It's because you don't you don't think that you can, um, that you're not gonna, willing to reach out of this pit that you're in. And I think that we, we really have to stop being able to put each other against each other, whether it's gender wise, LGBTQ wise, whatever way that we have to realize that that is by design to split the groups. And that is when the poverty and all of those things, right, really head down on us. When a, a teen sees me and they go like, wow, how did you get to do that? And blah, blah, blah. I want to go to med school. And I'm like, here's the thing. You will need support. Please do not go by yourself. I want you to look up. There is a Black Medical Doctors Association. There are Latinx associations. You need to call one of those people and you need to say, I want a mentor, okay? You want to just call them and vent. You want to say, there's a butthead on my board and he's my supervisor and blah, 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 because you need to learn from them what they did to get through that. You always feel free to call me. You need a letter of recommendation. You need support, right? So I, I'm never asking anybody to do that without the support because you cannot do it alone. It's too difficult. And I think that we have too much inherited that individualism of that white kind of, and it's by, again, by design, because if I can get you to feel bad for asking for help, then all of a sudden <laughs> I can get you not to ask for help. <laughs> so it's like, I just really feel like that needs to be taught so much and inherent in that is of course, well, then it makes sense that I should get mental health help. It makes sense that I don't mind getting financial help, right? And all those things end up making sense. And so those that decoding, I think, is so important because when I can teach a kid, oh, you think they don't get welfare? Oh, they just call it tax benefits, dear. <laughs> they, get, they get welfare too. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you can see how, oh, you're just making me feel bad. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you can do this. No, I think that is, I think that's spot on. Uh, and, it, and it gets us to a, a, a opportunity for us to take a small break. Um, uh, and this was in our own defense podcast. Uh, and this show, we're, we're providing tips for eliminating too much toxicity. We're joined today, Dr. Tarver and I are joined today by Dr. Ogantala and Dr. Matt Smith. We're so lucky to have them here. And we'll come right back uh, after this uh, to, to uh, with two really important questions what we want to discuss um, um, this family toxicity and sometimes that self-sabotage efforts. And we want to uh, kind of talk about something with the with this, this recently that, that was held in the news in our culture with the Tamar Braxton incident. So we'll be we'll be talking about those issues as soon as we get back. Thank you for uh, listening and watching in our own defense podcast. Thank you. <laughs> 